Presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. We are here to talk with you about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night. And uh, as always, the phone lines will be open throughout the entire program if you want to join in the discussion. The numbers are 508-996-0500, to call in toll-free. You can also email us, SpookyCrew, at SpookySouthCoast.com. And if you go to our website, SpookySouthCoast.com, and click on the chat link, there is a live chat room going on on our friend Craig's site during the course of the program. And uh, we can't access it here in the studio, but... Craig is there, and he'll be making sure that uh, any questions that pop up there that need to be passed on, he can email to me, and uh, we'll we'll address them here on the air. So it's been kind of an exciting week since we talked to you last. Uh, first of all, I'm glad that we're back in our regular format this week, where we actually get to interview guests instead of having to answer questions ourselves. It's been that week, hasn't it? Yeah, it's you know it's it's hard doing that. It's hard answering questions. Yes. Yeah. Isn't it different being on the other end? Man, we we should appreciate our guests more. <laughs> we do. Answer. I know we do. But, uh, yeah, and then Matt Moniz and I took part in uh, filming of 30-odd minutes on uh, Sunday night. So yep. that's actually going to air com- this coming Tuesday, right, on 30oddminutes.com and various Correct. cable outlets. Correct. So uh, if you have 30-odd minutes in your town at this point, really, how can you not? It's everywhere. It's available in all all across the country, actually. And uh, for those of you who don't have it on your cable access station, you can watch it online, 30oddminutes.com. But it was filmed live at the Lizzie Borden house in Fall River, the Lizzie Borden Bed and Breakfast. And true to the form of the show. 30 minutes straight and one no takes, just one shot. And uh, some crazy stuff happened and some not-so-crazy stuff happened. So you want to check that out uh, coming up on Tuesday night. What's it, what, 8 o'clock? Yes. Tuesday night at 8 o'clock. And uh, Matt Moniz and the Oddballs were all there helping out, and Matt got to be on the other side of things for a change. He got to be on the camera. Yeah. And, and I, I'm excited because I finally got to meet Odd, Oddbot in person. Yeah. How do you like Oddbot? Oh, yeah. He's uh, not a very talkative fellow, though. No. He keeps to himself. He's he's quiet. So, Matt, we'll have to introduce you to Oddbot sometime. You'll love him. Yeah. He's your kind of guy. You guys could have a lot to not talk about. All right. Well, we're going to get into tonight's topic. Uh, Now, coming up on the second hour of the show, we'll be joined by uh, Terry Walkowitz and our old friend Wayne Morrison to talk about a fundraiser coming up in April called Rock Me Amadeus. And uh, it's really fun. Uh, Matt Koss and I are going to be taking part of it. Maybe we can even try to drag Moniz into it somehow, too. But uh, it's going to be a fundraiser coming up in April. We'll talk about that in the second hour. Uh, but for now, in the first hour, we're going to be joined by an old friend of the program, uh, Gene Lafferty, who we would love to have on the show more often, but he, he just doesn't like the spotlight. So, But we're, uh, we're dragging him into it tonight for an interesting discussion on the idea of 3 a.m., uh, this so-called demonic hour. The idea of having a witching hour, a demonic hour, all these different times of night that people address as, as various uh, folkloric titles. We're going to talk about all that 
is it a time of heightened paranormal activity? Is it a time of heightened senses? Or is it just a time of heightened superstition? We're going to get into all that with more with Gene Lafferty coming up in just a minute here on Spooky South Coast. South Coast, the only time you will ever hear Matchbox 20 on this program. The only time you'll ever hear Matchbox 20 on this program. Here on Spooky South Coast, we are going to be talking about the idea of 3 a.m. with our guest, Gene Lafferty. Uh, Gene is the founder of Buckeye State Paranormal and Haunting Investigations, also known as BSPHI. Uh, He founded it in 2004 after doing independent research for almost three decades BSPHI takes a no-nonsense approach to paranormal investigations, and they like to use the media interests currently surrounding the paranormal field to help uh, not-for-profit groups such as museums uh, receive a huge boost in visitors and membership. They are also the first paranormal group accepted to the Ohio Association of Historical Societies and Museums, and they are one of the most scientific-based investigative groups out there, and they have monthly newsletters every month that you can sign up for on their website, bsphi.com which is also linked up on the front page of SpookySouthCoast.com. And uh, Gene is also going to be speaking at the second annual Ohio Paranormal Convention coming up as well. And he joins us on the phone. Good evening, Gene. How are you tonight? There we go. Gene, how are you tonight? I'm good, yourself. Oh, we're spooktacular, as we say here. We're, you know, we, we just can't get you on the show enough. You, you're one of these guys that shies away from the spotlight. Well, I'm out doing research. I don't have time for interviews. But, but that's only part of the paranormal field. Don't you realize with the, the world we're in now, you have to have a TV show, your own radio show, a podcast, and you have to tweet every time you do something. If I had my own TV show, nobody would take me serious. <laughs> well, uh, you are definitely one of the unsung heroes in the field, uh, you and your group, uh, going out there. And, and not only the investigative work that you do, but the work that you do uh, in terms of helping these nonprofit organizations, and uh, I saw in your newsletter you recently donated your hundredth nonfiction paranormal book to a library. Yeah, that's something we started uh, maybe a little bit over a year ago. Um, there's so many libraries out there, and the funding is so low, uh, they have a really hard time getting paranormal books donated or even bought through the library system. Um, so we take all the money that we generate through our website and use that to purchase books and then donate them to libraries. And I suppose that uh, what that would also entail is having a little bit of uh, control over what books that you do purchase, making sure that they're getting, you know, like as you said, nonfiction books and not just the folklore and stories books that you know we're always used to finding in the, the zero section of the Dewey Decimal System, but actually getting some scientific information in there. Yeah, we, we do a lot of the, uh, you know, of the how-tos, a lot of the encyclopedias. Um, you know, nonfiction is definitely what we stick to. I mean, the, the other stuff has its place, too, but, I mean, you can always find a good ghost story in a library, but being able to find, you know, ghost, uh, ghost hunting techniques and ghost evidence is a different case. Yeah, we, we try to, um, you know, just, uh, I guess our next uh, shipment will be going down to Kentucky. So we try to find books, nonfiction books that deal with their particular area to try to spark some interest for that area also. Excellent. And I know that there's a lot of publishing companies out there now that have, you know, region-specific titles. Uh, so you have, you know, Ghosts of Massachusetts, Ghosts of Rhode Island, 
and uh, there's a couple of plugs for Tom D'Agostino, but you know, it's basically it's every area seems to have a rich paranormal history, and publishers are finally starting to pay attention to it. Yeah, and it's really about time. Not you know, not only is it about the ghost, but it's about the history of the location. That's that's what we like to say here. We try to use the paranormal as a way to sneak the history in on people. Well, yeah, we use the paranormal to get to talk about it. Exactly. Well. Every month now, uh, B- BSPHI puts out a, a great newsletter where you have some sort of article and and you uh, some sort of topic each month that you discuss. And this month was particularly piqued my interest because it's something that I've thought about quite a bit, but we've never addressed on the show. And that's this idea of 3 a.m. being the demonic hour. Uh, and you just you don't seem to agree with that. Uh, no, I, I you know as I said in the article, I was. At a, um, a, I was a presenter at a conference, and one of the other presenters, um, you know, threw that out as the reason that ghost hunters ghost hunt at night, basically. And it was quite shocking to me when they threw that out there. Well, the idea behind it, I mean, nobody really understands why they call it the demonic hour, but in this case at the conference, I guess somebody actually provided an explanation? Uh, yeah, they their explanation was that um, since Jesus died at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 a.m. is the polar opposite of that, so that's when the demonic activity is, is the most active, basically as a slap in the face. But that creates a whole bunch of questions. I mean, just uh, I mean, I'm not a, a biblical scholar by any means, uh, but I did look up the idea of when Jesus died, and um, I guess Mark 15:25 says that Jesus was crucified at the third hour. But John 19.14 says that uh, Pilate presented Jesus to the Jews at about the sixth hour. Uh, and the Jews and the Romans used different clocks uh, to, to, well, not clocks, but different ways to judge the, the time of day. Uh, according to this, uh, the, Romans, the Roman day began at midnight and the, Jew day, uh, the Jewish day began at 6 p.m. So you're already talking about discrepancies in time there. Not to mention, we're not exactly sure what the date was of the crucifixion. We're not even sure of the year. And then you have to take into account calendar changes, time zones, uh, daylight savings, all this other stuff. So how can we say that that's the opposite of the time that Jesus was crucified? Uh, We can't, unless you like watching movies. Well, that's the other thing, too. (laughs) It's uh, uh, The idea of 3 a.m. being the demonic hour, I'm sure it goes back far. And and you've researched this. It's not... It's not a new phenomena to have one of these supposed paranormal hours. Uh, no, I, you know, you go back to, you know, they call it the witching hour, which, you know, the, the witching hour really got its name to fame in, um, you know, Mary Sheldon's Frankenstein. That was the first real phrase used of the witching hour. Uh, you know, it goes back to Shakespearean plays. Um, it, it spans history. I, you know, I could not really find the first use of the 3 a.m. for a demonic um, but, you know, if you would try to Google that, you know, you're going to get millions of hits. Sure. Well, I think part of it, too, is uh, a lot of the argument that you hear is what is this true supposed witching hour or demonic hour? When you go to these message boards and discussion groups where it's, where it's taking place, you know, you some are saying, well, midnight is the witching hour, 3 a.m. is the demonic hour, 5 a.m. is the hour of the werewolf. You know, there's like all these different times uh, associated with it but it's all really just folklore really well exactly you know midnight is not 12 a.m the, the true midnight is halfway between sunset and sunrise mm-hmm. and but you know some people just don't seem to understand that midnight is 12 a.m i don't care what time zone you live in 
Well, I mean, also though, midnight could change. I mean, midnight is the the formal noun. Midnight, of course, is twelve a.m. But the idea of the middle of the night changes too, because in older times, people went to bed when the sun went down, and people didn't stay up till nine, ten, eleven o'clock at night. So for us, three a.m. might be more approximately the middle of our sleep cycle. Exactly. You know, most um, most REM sleep, you know, is approximately you know five to six hours after you um, go to bed. So, you know, you're almost in that height of that time. And from some of the, the theories that I saw out there, too, one of them mentioned that uh, 3 a.m., and Matt Moniz, you could probably uh, speak to this as well, but supposedly 3 a.m. is because in most places the sun starts to come up around 5 or 6 a.m., 3 a.m. is when you start to get the atmospheric changes Correct. that come with the sunrise. Correct. So that is that is scientific fact. Well, yeah, that's when certain parts of the sun's rays will bend around the, the curvature of the Earth. It's not so much with visible light, but some of the sun's effects does start to affect uh, around around the curvature of the Earth, the event horizon. So could that could that cause some of the hallucinations, or not hallucinations, but some of these visions that people see at this time? Could that be part if of it? If a person is susceptible to that type of electromagnetic radiation, yeah, it could. I mean, depending upon what their brain chemistry is and mm-hmm. other conditions. So, I mean, there's there's certainly factors, Gene, that something could happen at this time. Uh, there, there's, I mean, besides the fact that, you know, if you're in a deep sleep and I'm a demon, hey, that's a good time to go and try and jump on somebody. Yeah, I mean, if, if you want to believe in the theory of even demons, you know, one of the things that we, we run into all the time is, um, you know, groups claiming that they want to be scientific, but they want to claim they're the demon in the house. Well, you know, as soon as you interject the word demon, you're interjecting religion into a scientific investigation. So, you know, we we try not to refer to anything as a demon. Yes, I mean, I try to shy away from using the term demonic anyway. Um, mainly, like you said, mainly people's beliefs, but also because in some cases you're putting, you know, the most extreme label on something that might not be that level of activity. Yeah, you know, I, I I can't say in all the years I've ever been doing this that I've ever met a demon. I mean, I've I've met a few ticked off ghosts, but I don't know that I would consider them demons. What what about the idea though that uh, when you are in that REM sleep stage, you're more susceptible to? I, I guess some people refer to it as dream telepathy, where another person can kind of send messages to you in your sleep. Uh, th- that's one of the theories that I read about this 3 a.m. thing, is that people are very susceptible in that middle of their sleep cycle, the late stage of that sleep cycle, to this dream telepathy, where if I wanted to sit in a dark room, you know, hundreds of miles away from Eugene, I could send thoughts into your mind while you're sleeping. Uh, if you are open, more open telepathically at that time, isn't it possible that it's just also a good time for uh, anything to really enter your subconscious? Yeah, I, I think with the with the immediate driven rage around the 3 a.m., you know, everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people are expecting something to happen at 3 a.m. Oh, sure. So, you know, your perception is it's going to be bad at 3 a.m. Have you ever had a dream, uh, Gene, where you've been sleeping and something, some sort of outside factor um, outside of your sleeping body kind of works its way into your dream? Uh, for example, you know, you're, you're, you've got your alarm clock set to the radio and it goes off, but you don't fully wake up, and, you know, whatever's going on on the alarm clock kind of filters its way into your dream. Has that ever happened to you? Um, 
Not really. You know, I'm one of those weird people who sleep very rarely, uh, or, I don't, you know, I don't get much sleep at, at night. Mm-hmm. So usually when I'm out, I'm out. Because, I mean, I've, I've had that happen to me in the past where, like, you know, you fall asleep with the oldie station on, and in your dream you're hearing that song. And uh, I think that might be part of it, too, is, like, whatever noises are happening outside might be affecting your dream, and then when you wake up it makes it even harder to differentiate between what's the dream state and what's the waking state. Yeah, it sounds plausible. It's just, I mean, sleep is uh, something that's very fascinating to me, uh, as I've mentioned here on the show before, I suffer from sleep apnea uh, at night, and I suffer from narcolepsy during the day. So it's one of those things where I'm just fascinated by the effects that it has on your brain and, and how people can function with so little sleep and how people can you know, sleep for 12 hours a day. I, I couldn't do either. I couldn't go without it, and I certainly couldn't sleep for 12 hours a day. But it, it's also so tied into people's vulnerabilities too it's just so natural to feel like you're at your weakest possible state when you're asleep yeah you're you you know you're susceptible to everything then you you know you go back to the old hag syndrome um you know which is mostly explained away by sleep paralysis um you know you're you're not ready to wake up you're you're a sudden jolt and you think you're awake but you're still partially asleep Matt, you've been doing this for a long time, and Gene, you have too. Between the two of you, I'm sure you've been awake for all night investigations. Me, personally, I don't do it. I I usually call it around 1 or 2 a.m., but both of you, in in doing late-night investigations, have you seen an increase in activity during the 3 a.m. hour? Me, personally? No. It happens when it happens. There's no set time for it. And, Gene, I know that's kind of along the same lines of what you touched upon in your newsletter. No, yeah. Um, I, I've not seen anything as heightened activity around 3 a.m., but I will tell you that, um, like, if we, go, if we go to a group, like, to um, Mansfield Prison, where there will be, you know, 20 or 30 different ghost hunters there, you will see a different in, difference in the investigators around 3 a.m., where, you know, maybe somebody who's been kind of just, you know, taking it easy, resting the night, when it gets to around 3 a.m., you know, they start digging their gear out because they're expecting something to happen at then. Mm-hmm. I think part of that, though, is, uh, as you mentioned, part of it's media influence. Uh, but also I think it's just because you're getting kind of toward the end of the night. When you start getting into the 4 to 5 a.m. range, you know, you're getting close to sunrise. And if you're buying into this idea that it's going to happen, quote, unquote, at night, you know, you're almost hitting the deadline, no pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> But but we should cover kind of the media influence idea behind it because that is, that is a major factor. And you mentioned in the newsletter the film The Exorcism of Emily Rose right. as being a significant contributor to that. I'm going to even go a little bit further back to that, to uh, the 70s with the Amityville case. Uh, it, it is fact that at 3.15 a.m. or thereabouts is when uh, Ron DeFeo actually committed the murders of his family. 3.15 a.m., and supposedly in the Amityville Horror book, 3.15 is when the family would be repeatedly woken up by whatever entity was in the house. So you've already got that idea in. And then what, what was the case with Emily Rose? Well, uh, you know, Emily Rose, it was actually um, in the movie um, that the, the person portraying the, uh, the father trying to do the exorcism had made the comment that activity will peak around 3 a.m. And... You know, I, I agree the Amity the Horror um, movie was first, but it seems like this generation hasn't seen that movie for some reason. 
I don't know why. It's a, it's a great horror movie. Yeah, you know, I think there's been so much speculation between is it real, is it not real, is it made up, um, that Emily Rose kind of taken the hit for this generation. Mm-hmm. And in, in the film, I'm sure that, uh, you know, they, they were just themselves kind of playing into that superstition of the 3 a.m. I, I don't think it was... Uh, tied into the actual case, right? That there was anything going on at 3 a.m. It was kind of just dramatic license by Hollywood? Exactly. It, you know, feeding into a fear, you know, trying to tap what people already believe in. Now, I am I consider myself to be a very rational person. I consider myself to be science-based in my investigation. And, you know, I, I, I don't really like to fall into the, the pitfalls and the traps of superstition if I can help it. But I gotta tell you, when I wake up, if I wake up and it's 3 a.m., I look over at that clock and it's any time in the 3 o'clock hour, I close my eyes tight again and roll over and go back to sleep. And I try to make sure that I'm already in bed before 3 o'clock. And if anything should go on during that hour, I just, I immediately jump to conclusions. I can't seem to shake that no matter what. And I, I think that seems to be something that affects a lot of people. Yeah, you know, and I, I kind of try to address that a little bit in the newsletter, you know, like asking somebody what time do they have lunch? And they say around noon. So what is around noon? And I think 3 a.m. is the same thing. If it happens at 2.30, 2.45, 3.15, 3.30, it, it's all 3 o'clock. It's all 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, because you're, when you have a profound experience at that time, no matter what, it's going to affect you. So if something does go on at 2.45, you're likely to wake up again at 2.45. If something happens to you at 3 a.m., you're likely to wake up at 3 a.m. And so many people on these message boards and, and when websites that I was reading all said that they have this problem where at 3 a.m. they wake up. At 3.05 every night they wake up. Um, I mean that, But that's got more to do with your body's circadian rhythm than anything else, doesn't it? Exactly. It's conditioning. You know, I, it's just like you know, your dog. Your dog will be at the door greeting you, but it can't tell time. But it's it's conditioned to know what time you're going to be there. And we always say that, you know, we have a, a quote-unquote natural alarm clock built into ourselves uh, for certain things. I mean, I don't because I'm late for everything. <laughs> but, I mean, I'll say this. I'm supposed to wake up at 4.40 in the morning every day to get ready for work. And I know that I can sleep until 5 o'clock and get that extra 20 minutes. But it's like my body naturally... You know, by 5 o'clock, wakes up, and I can get up and start to get going. And I can't imagine any nightmare or any, any demonic activity or anything that could happen being worse than having to get up and go to my job at 5 o'clock in the morning. So the fact that I can condition myself for that, even almost against my will, I can understand that people could kind of be conditioned to this idea of waking up, uh, expecting activity to be going on. Yeah, and, you know, it's something that we definitely fight against, you know, the... Uh, the the false information out there in the media and what's being portrayed on TV is just, you know, influencing the paranormal field as a huge negative right now. I suppose until, though, we had this, uh, and if you've had it, if anybody out there has had any experiences at 3 a.m. or any time of the night that they want to call in and share, 508-996-0500, or spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. But until we have this influx of paranormal investigation going on in the last five, six years, I don't think it really mattered that we had this 3 a.m. myth. I think it's a relatively new idea that it's something that needs to be fought against. No, I agree. And, you know, that's, you know, um, 
I think I heard last week on your uh, on your promo. You, you know, you said uh, you said I was going to be on there, and I'm a writer. I'm like, no, I'm not a writer. You know, I just uh, float the theories out there, and you know, see what people other people have to say about it. Well, I think your newsletter certainly counts as as writing because it's it's always thought provoking and it's always something that needs to be addressed. So you should consider yourself a writer, at least in that regard. Well, thanks, but um, it, but some of the responses I've gotten from the the newsletters have just been amazing. Um, you know, I, I had one pastor uh, email me back and said, you know, he, he totally disagrees with the 3 a.m. theory. However, it's kept money in the coffers for years. Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> what, do, what do you say to that? Well, uh, there's, there's a sort of a moral, I guess, uh, connotation with it as well. You know, 3 a.m. is not really a good time for anybody to be up going around doing anything you know it's like uh, that episode of how i met your mother nothing bad ever happens uh, nothing good ever happens at 2 a.m and it seems like you know two o'clock three o'clock in the morning really unless you're out there performing a job doing a service uh, it seems like it's just not a good time to really be up yeah that could very well be so i'm sure somewhere along the lines you know somebody kind of put it into people's heads that you know that's when that's when they can come out and get you I mean, that's that's what my mom used to tell me when I was a kid. If I'm not in bed by 9 o'clock, that's when the monsters are going to come out. So, No, she didn't really say that. <laughs> but I, I think that there is kind of that aspect, too, especially coming from the church perspective, of it's kind of a way to control things and, and keep things uh, keep things in check. Yeah, I agree, you know. But the other thing, too, that I read, and I don't know if I buy this, and again, I'm, I'm getting information off the Internet, which is you know, always 100% accurate, <laughs> but uh, there's, there's some, uh, on quite a few different sites that I looked at, it mentions that medical professionals seem to agree that most people who pass away in their sleep do so in the 3 a.m. hour. I mean, that seems like kind of a stretch to me, or maybe it is true, and it has to do with the, the idea of being in the deepest stages of sleep. Or they just pick a time that normally somebody would be asleep. I mean, you yeah. know, 3 a.m. is toward the mid-time, like you said, you know. Or, or perhaps it's possible that, you know, those are the ones that stand out in your mind because it happens at 3 a.m., so you, you seem to remember it happening most during that time. Or like you said, you know, you read it on the Internet. Yeah, I didn't see it. There was no statistical information to back it up. Yeah, give me the source. Mm. That, that's one of the things, though, when you're, when you're trying to delve into this topic, and I'm sure you went through it in writing the article, is there's not a lot of any kind of, informa- uh, any kind of source information for this stuff. You are dealing with a mythology. You are dealing with folklore. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, the other thing that, you know, I found interesting was, you know, only 32% of the population is really Christianity. So, you know, what does the other 67% do for their 3 a.m. hauntings. And, and the other point that you point, pointed out, too, is did none of this happen before Jesus was crucified? Exactly. I guess it could have, though, and they just decided after that date that, hey, you know what? You know what would be a fun goof is if we did it at 3 a.m. Right. Then they all went out and bought watches that adjust for time zones and daylight savings <laughs> time. Or also, I mean, aside from the actual logistics of the time, but the idea of doing it in mocking uh, after 3 a.m., I suppose once there was something to mock, then it would make sense to do it. Yeah. But uh, to me, I think the idea of 
anything. I, I'm trying to be careful here because it's a slippery slope when you start getting into this religious uh, argument, uh, and I'm not. I'm not trying to argue with any of the beliefs of the church or any of the beliefs of the followers of the church, but I will say this. If you're going to start saying that the point of the demonic is to mock Christ and to mock God and to 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 basically work as the polar opposite to everything that is good, I think you're kind of underestimating its power if it does exist. I think you're kind of just you're making it secondary to everything good when in fact it could be just as powerful or more powerful uh, if the factors. You know what I mean? You know what I mean, Moniz? It's like. When you say that something's only happening as the opposite of a reaction, aren't you kind of negating the original part of that? Well, physics says every reaction has an equal and opposite reaction. But by by putting the demonic, quote-unquote, into just that reaction category, you're kind of lessening its effect, I think. Do you, do you understand where I'm going with that? I think I understand philosophically where you're yeah, going with it. I, I just think that if if you're you're going to put a 3 a.m. timestamp on this stuff, then you're going to get yourself into trouble. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, what I as a little sidebar, one of the other things I ran across when I was doing this research is that you know in the 17th 1700s when they were torturing witches and warlocks about demons, uh, the witches and warlocks said that the demon bodies were icy cold. So now I'm wondering if maybe that might be leading into why everybody's looking for cold spots. We'll have to look into that some more. Yeah. I mean, that, the idea that the cold spots uh, provide, as, as you and Matt Moniz both have been able to verify, I'm sure, in investigations, is you know that they do seem to accompany the activity, and we can get into the laws of thermodynamics. And well, that's what I was just going to say. I have my own theories, and it has nothing to do with demons. Exactly. But... But that being said, you know, could that also be why it's I could already... see how people would interpret it as yes. Being... Could the f- idea of the cold spots have come even before uh, people began feeling the cold spots when activity happened? Could the expectation of it? Well, the, the feeling the cold uh, in a haunted place has been reported, you know, yeah. from the earliest recordings. Now, like I said, this is one of my theories, as as it is with uh, several other people that uh, follow this, what you have is what's known as an endothermic reaction. These spirits, or whatever they are, are drawing energy out of their environment, and heat is energy. Mm -hmm. And in order to manifest and do whatever they're going to do, it creates a cold spot by drawing heat energy from that area or from around your body or you. A lot of people get drained. And then when they do stuff, usually heat is reported, and they uh, thermally things show up. And that's known as an exothermic reaction. You have an endothermic, which makes them cold, then mm-hmm. the exothermic once once it relates. And that makes sense in and, physics. And if that's happening as a physics reaction to the idea of a spirit presence, a ghost presence, then it would kind of make sense that you would attach that to a demonic, even if it wasn't. You know what I mean? Even if that's obviously not the same type of activity, but you would still say, "Oh, when there's one around, it gets cold." Is what I, you know? You're, you're linking. I mean, if grandma's coming by, it could be cold. Is grandma a demon? Mm-hmm. You, you get my point. Yeah, but I mean, I'm just saying, like we're we're kind of lumping the two together sometimes with some of the evidence that we're looking at. Uh, Gene, when you were doing this research, uh, one of the one of the things that I was noticing in the that's addressed 
uh, and the topic is, again, the idea of the midnight hour. I don't know how much you delved into the idea of uh, witchcraft and, and Wiccan practice and paganism, but I, I know that midnight does have a lot of significance to people that believe in those. Yeah, um, I actually dove into that more in a, in a previous article about the sleep paralysis. Um, but, like, you know, like I said, well, from what I found, and even if you speak to some of the I don't want to say more learned in the in the Wiccan. Mm-hmm. They will say midnight is not 12 a.m. Though it is halfway between. Correct. So we're I mean we're really just talking in such abstract concepts that attaching these well, numerical the, values to them is pointless. Well, midnight comes from uh, the two points where time is equal in the equinox: six hours a day, six hours a night, and at sunsetting at six a.m. and rising. Uh, I mean, sun setting at 6 p.m. and rising at 6 a.m., the midpoint is 12. But, I mean, that doesn't always happen. You don't always have no, 6 No, but I'm six. saying they, they reference at that point. That's why why the midnight or the 12th hour became became midnight, because it happens twice a year. It, it's, it's one of those things where it's – I can't get over the idea of the, the, the time zones. I can't get over the idea of the time change. I mean, it just – it's almost like that can become a reassuring factor when you're somebody who is experiencing these 3 a.m. Uh, phenomena, Gene, where you can look at the clock and say, okay, well, I know it's 3 a.m. here, but it's, uh, you know, it's only 2 a.m. where my buddy lives three states over, so there it's okay, so it must be okay here. Yeah, they, they, they're on New York Standard Time. <laughs> but then the other problem is, is you could also argue the point where if they are shooting for that 3 a.m., uh, it's going to just, they're going to pick the 3 a.m. where you are. You know, if it's you that they want to go after, then they're going to wait till it's 3 a.m. at your your point in time. Assuming they can tell time. That's true, too. It's, it's, it's kind of it's one of those situations where until we can get a demon on the phone to explain it to us, we're going to just be speculating. Exactly. And, and you know, like you said, it, it, it's a really slippery slope. You know, I, I try to make the comment in the article, you know, I'm not... You know, trying to go against any religion. I'm just trying to debate the fact of the 3 a.m. demonic comics. Well, negative negative entities go beyond our religious beliefs, and they go beyond our religious definitions. I mean, there are negative forces out there. I mean, that's almost uh, if you believe in good, you have to believe in bad. And there seems to definitely be, at least in my research and my investigation, there is an undercurrent of negativity out there that sometimes comes to the surface. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, you know, I, I think that's why, you know, a lot of people, it, it, they go out looking for the negative part of it. That's sexier. Well, like, sure, it makes better TV. Absolutely. I mean, that's uh, that's why, as you referenced at the beginning, you know, every every bad, every negative haunting turns out to be a demon to a lot of these groups because it's it's a better catchphrase than just saying, well, there's some sort of negative energy around the place, and whatever spirits might be attached are, are kind of drawing from that, and it, it doesn't it doesn't sound as nice as saying, well, there's a demonic presence there, and I can name it, and I can point to you a, a Renaissance painting of what it looks like, and it calls me out by name every time I see it. That's the other thing that amazes me too is how uh, these same demons like to harass these investigators from case to case. Well, you know, I. I... I tend to think that you know some of the you know the demons who are in, who are in charge of ten fifty legions have better things to do than run around with my grandmother. 
Sure. And and not only that, the, the last thing they want to do is start playing tricks with some paranormal investigator. Yeah. You know, if they're if if the goal is possession, then you want to go for the people that you know don't realize who you are, or think that they know who you are. Yeah, I have better thing to do than move my water bottle. <laughs> this this must be something though that drives you crazy coming from a a, a, a scientific background. And both of you, Matt Moniz and Gene Lafferty, you both must get a little bit annoyed with as much as you must be happy that the media is paying attention to the paranormal. It's really quickly in the last few years gone off the deep end. It's gone into the territory that we hoped three years ago that it wouldn't go into, where now it's not about the science and the research, but it's about getting to whatever is going to scare us. Yeah, and, you know, I, I, I'm i not a big fan of the paranormal TV shows, uh, but the one thing that they have done is opened up a lot of doors mm-hmm. that would normally not be opened. I, I, I'm with Gene on that one, but uh, I also see what you're saying, Tim, and that isn't really so much the fault of the ghost hunters. That's the fault of the producers of the television shows, um, allowing it to happen. And I can um, only agree with that to a point. The, I can only agree with that to a point. They, At some point, they go along with something that they might not be comfortable with, and you have to accept the blame for that. I mean, I'm not saying that uh, you know they're playing things up, that aren't necessarily true, but I don't think it's accurate for a group to go into something and say, okay, these negative hauntings get us ratings, so from now on we're only going to deal with those. Uh, you know, that's that's one thing to, to say that we're only going to take – all right, PRS, par- Paranormal State. i got no problem throwing that out there. Everything that they deal with now is is negative and demonic and everything. That's fine if that's the kind of cases that they're seeking out to film for the television show. But if they're starting to view every case as that going into it, then you've got a problem. Yeah. And, and Gene, I'm sure, you know, not being a fan of the shows at all, you know, you'd prefer that they didn't try to build any of them toward television. No, actually, I would like for them to show the reality of, you know, eight hours of nothing going on so pe- more people will <laughs> understand what really goes on. That's on the DVD extra. Oh, I hear that all the time when I take groups out. When is the activity going to happen? Uh, two days later when you're looking at the tapes and listening? Actually, you know what you can tell them? Just tell them as soon as the film crew gets here. That's yeah. just what they're waiting for. <laughs> but evidence review only takes three minutes. Well, oh, That's right. I'm sorry. I that's okay, man. I'll keep you straight, man. <laughs> hey, editing, we, editing for time, we can't blame them for that. So uh, it, it would be fun to see like a show like Ghost Hunters actually put the actual, actual time-stamped uh, video evidence oh, God. onto a DVD extra. It would probably take two discs just for that. Yeah, you know, honestly, the one, the one thing that I, I I miss more than anything in the reality shows is spending more time showing how finding natural explanations for what's going on. I mean, and that's where you're actually performing the, the best educational service to people, not in being able to explain to them the difference between this demon or that demon or you know the the different showing them the latest piece of equipment what it can do but showing them how to think that it's not paranormal is where the teaching came in i got what he's saying yeah it was like finding out well why why am i hearing the creaking in the attic at this particular time uh, not and then you realize you know the sun's baking that side of the house for so many hours and then you get the radiant cooling the expansion and contraction of the wood you know it 
cools off at this rate and regularly at that time, it will start it, creaking. Yeah. Instead, it's become a, a commercial for a K2 meter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, what what, what can you do about that, though, uh, when you're these groups and you're locked into this idea of, of having to produce a television show? You know, they don't want you to debunk it. They want you to make people think it's happening all the time and that there's reasons to keep tuning in every week because I think sooner or later, I mean, it's smart, smart television on the part of the, the producers because uh, sooner or later nobody's going to wa- watch a show where things get debunked. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's more of a an error on the people watching the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there's people have forgotten that if you see it on TV, it's entertainment and view it as entertainment. And do your own research. I mean, look up stuff. Talk, you know, the, the Internet's a huge resource. If you see something you don't agree with, look it up. Research it. Ask questions. The The other issue, though, is when people are basing their expertise just based solely on, you know, what they're seeing and what they're seeing others do, then they've got nothing. And Matt Moniz is the reason why we even went out and started doing any of the stuff of ourselves. And it really does make all the difference. You have to get up and physically do it and experience it to be able to even talk about it. And so many of these groups are going out there feeling like they're prepared because they've watched paranormal television, because they've read every Rosemary Ellen Guiley encyclopedia you know, they think that they're ready to go. They've got their Bible. They've got their holy water. They're all set. But you got to team up with somebody first. You can't just jump right into it. Yeah, it's like somebody watching a Major League Baseball game thinking they can walk out to the plate and hit a homer because they watched Barry Bonds do it. Or yeah, something. exactly. Well, you know, I got my certification from eBay, so I'm good to go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, if you've got the licensing, then you're all set. Yeah, exactly. Did that come with the ghost in the bottle? Yeah. It's an add-on. You have to pay extra. Well, it's it's worth it though. That, but I mean, that's the problem. Is it's it's become the fact that you know everybody's mentor is Jason and Grant, and it's it's not enough. I mean, as a as a sports writer, you know, I've probably read growing up all the great sports writers, and I loved Bob Ryan's columns on the NBA and basketball and the Celtics. I love Steve Bullpet, but I didn't think that I was ready to just jump into things. Uh, based on that, sure, I knew how to write because I was trained how to write. And I knew how to observe a game because I'd watched a lot of games. So I was able to, to have some experience for it going into it before I actually experienced it. But I had no idea how to navigate my way around a pro locker room. I had no idea how to approach a professional athlete and ask them a question. I didn't know the rules. I didn't know the, the, the etiquettes involved. And I had to have somebody take me under their wing and teach me that stuff. And that's the kind of situation that you're going to get into in investigating is you can read all the books and watch all the shows and all the documentaries that you want, but unless there's somebody there to help you think of all the things that you wouldn't think of, then you're going to be at a huge disadvantage. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting that, you know, in the years I've had the group, you know, I've had people call and say, hey, I want to be a ghost hunter, and, you know, can I go with you? And, you know, I have never denied anyone to accompany us on a public location investigation. Um, but when I tell them, say, okay, well, we're going to get there at 7 o'clock, we're going to set equipment up for an hour, um, more than likely nothing is going to happen until we leave, you know, around 4 o'clock in the morning. you want to go? And you get a long silence, like, oh, no, that doesn't sound very fun. 
Yeah, they thought they were going to get punched in the face by a ghost 10 minutes in. Exactly. Well, hopefully not punched in the face, but that's, I guess that you can blame that, though, on the editing. You know, the the editing of these television shows and the fact that everything does seem to happen in a 45-minute block. And uh, if people aren't savvy enough to, to break it down and realize it, then they need to be reminded of it. I, I agree. I fully agree. Uh, one thing that could make a huge difference, and then you never see it on Ghost Hunters. I don't know if they do it on the other shows. I, I probably haven't watched a, a paranormal reality show in years. <laughs> but and, and that's just because of... I. I there's certain situations where when you start to actually know some of these people, talk to them on this show or talk to them at events or thing, and you're like, okay, I know that person. I can't watch this and watch them do this to themselves. And so, anyway, that aside, one thing that would make a huge difference is put a time on the screen. You know, put 10.41, this happens. Put the next day, 11.30 p.m., this happens. You know, show people the passage of time, but they, it doesn't seem to be something that they're interested in doing. Yeah, and, you know... I, I happen to know when a group came to Ohio to investigate for a TV show at one of the locations, um, they were in and out and did their investigation in three hours and 15 minutes. A similar, a similar thing happened with a television show at a place that we're very familiar with, and they kind of just breezed in and breezed out. and Under four hours. They yeah. really did, and they didn't get anything, surprisingly. Yet, we can go in there, and we can set up shop, and within two hours... The place could be lighting up like a Christmas tree. Or there would be times we go in there for three days straight and not a darn thing happens. Yep. But, you know, there, there's things to be learned there. You know, during those three days, what changed that didn't happen? You know, it, it, you know, like I tell everyone who wants Tim to... Tim wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But you learned something. You learned that there's a trigger there. Yeah, it's Tim. <laughs> um, Usually is. And, you know, that, that's one of the things I'm really... I really push for people that we're going to help investigate a house or a location is they keep a journal. Write down what happened, when it happened, the time, the date, who's there. Help us trend this to find our best shot of trying to find you some evidence to either prove or disprove. Yeah, and it's it's something that you can really get involved with. You know, start with the journal and then put it into a spreadsheet. And then you have this visual layout of what's going on. And when you can do that, then who cares about 3 a.m.? Then you could find out that the key time is 9 a.m. Exactly. And that would be a lot better for everybody involved because then you can investigate it without having to stay awake all night. Well, I, you know, the, the last TV show, the last um, paranormal TV show I watched, um, they were at a uh, an old hotel or something, and the tour guide was going around saying, well, on a tour, this person saw this ghost here. Later on, they saw this person here. Everything that they were describing was happening during the day. Mm-hmm. Yet they were there at night with the lights off investigating. Go when the activities reported. I think that, uh, you, you know, and you, you made this point and, and others have made this point where, you know, maybe our minds just can't handle the activity uh, during the day because we're just too active-minded during the day that we need to be in a nighttime situation where we're automatically just a little bit slowed down and, and more perceptive of things. Could be, like I said, you know, I, I like to be in there at the time that the stuff mm-hmm. is being reported to happen. And and a lot of us, we like to do it at night because we have to work during the day. Yeah, that dumb job. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Gene. Well, we thank you very much for joining us and discussing this, and, and we thank you for putting out these newsletters every month. B- BSPHI.com is the website 
for the Buckeye State Paranormal and Haunting Investigators. You can go to their website, sign up for the newsletters. You can also go to SpookySouthCoast.com. It's linked up right on the front page if you want to sign on as well. And uh, we got about two minutes, Gene. If you would, just tell us a little bit about the the uh, the second annual Ohio Paranormal Convention and what you'll be doing there. Yeah, actually, um, this, this, um, this is the first time I've been invited there. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, they, they asked me for a bio. I was like, I don't do those. <laughs> um, so I, right now I'm thinking about doing a how not to ghost hunt by using clips from TV shows. But ah. we'll see how that goes. Uh, that's uh, that's going to be quite a bit of uh, heavy editing for you. Because there's been numerous examples of how not to. Yeah, but there's lots of it out there, so it's easy picking. Well, I guess the important thing is is when you have the opportunity to go to one of these conventions, you know there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of people who are there solely because they watch the TV show. So if you can present that balance, then I think you're doing your job. Well, I, you know, every time I send a newsletter out, I keep saying if I don't get hate mail, I'm not doing something right. So, <laughs> do you get a lot of it? Actually, no. I, I've been kind of surprised. Because i, I got to imagine that uh, most of the people that don't agree with what you're saying, they probably just opt out of the uh, the newsletter email. Yeah, uh, I've actually got more people saying, you know, I, I might not agree with what you say. Here's my point. Here's the facts. And I love that. You know, give me give me your side, but back it up with facts. Well, there's a wave of, of people across the paranormal field right now. There's a wave of people like yourself, uh, our friends at Who Forwarded, uh, a haunted hoax. So many of these sites that are kind of becoming not watchdogs per se, but just making sure that things are being presented with balance, and and that's what's more necessary now than anything because everybody's jumping all over this, and we need somebody to keep an eye out to make sure they're jumping on the right thing. Exactly. Thank you, Gene, and we will definitely talk to you in the future. Take care and good luck with everything. Thanks. And let us know if uh, if all of a sudden a demon comes and attacks you at three a.m. Uh, I sure will. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks. Have a good, good night. 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 All right, we'll be right back. we got to take a break for the news. When we come back, we're going to talk about a local fundraiser coming up that's a little bit different than anything that you might have uh, been part of before, including us. We'll be right back. With local studios of AM 1420 WBSM, into the night and beyond. Here's more of... Now it's time for a breakdown. Don't mind if I do. Spooky South Coast is burned. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy. I can smell your I'm not afraid. You will. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa and science advisor Matt Moniz. And in just a few minutes, we're going to have we have some guests here in the Spooky Studio. We're going to tell you about an exciting fundraiser coming up. And if you like wearing leather pants to things, this is the thing for you to wear leather pants too. Don't look at me like that, Wayne. I know you got more than a few pairs. <laughs> no, my leather pants days are gone. But uh... well. 
We'll dress up. Though. We'll find we'll find you a pair to get. We'll by. we'll look appropriate for the occasion. But uh, we we will talk about that in just a couple minutes. But before we do, we're going to present to you uh, our usual weekly news stories, our our week and weird. But I do want to say something uh, before we go forward here, guys. I was thinking about this last week, and the honesty that we portrayed in last week's show. I think that we uh, we ended up looking like a bunch of saps with uh, last week's show where we were interviewed by Linda Lynch. So, like, we have zero man cred right now. So we have to do something. We had some to start with. I I don't know about you. I like to think that I did. Uh, No, seriously. Uh, I want to thank everybody who uh, has been emailing us and thanking us for doing that show and and bearing our souls to the listeners. But uh, also thank you to the people who have been making donations because we talked about it. I really didn't feel comfortable going on at length about it uh, on any given topic. We like to use this show to help. You know, organizations like we're going to be talking about in just a little bit and not to help ourselves. But those who have been donating to help us uh, produce the show, uh, thank you for doing that. John, we just got a notification of your uh, donation, and we thank you so much. And every bit does help, and we are putting it to use with the show. I can tell you this much, man. Our bank account went negative this week, and we were able to use those donations to help us get back into the black. So thank you very much, everybody, for doing that. All right, now let's just do the Week and Weird real quick so we can move on with the, the more important organizations that we can help raise money for instead of just Matt Moniz's appetizer fund. <laughs> All right, let's get weird. More bad news. Well, I got a great show for you today, which is wonderful. Weird stuff. I feel, I feel so very <laughs> the Week in Weird. All right, our, our first story is something that we really can't kind of joke about here, but uh, it is kind of an, intri- uh, an intriguing story about what actually happened. This comes from the DenverChannel.com. Speaking out for the first time since a gunman opened fire at Deer Creek Middle School and shot him in his side, 14-year-old Matthew uh, Theo, Theo? said months before it happened, he had a premonition about the shooting. Theo is now listed in good condition at Children's Hospital in Aurora. Speaking to reporters three days after the shooting, he sat up in bed joking and laughing, but also talking seriously about the frightening moments after the shooting. He said he was standing in front of the school after the bell rang when he heard gunfire and other students began to scatter. I grabbed my skateboard and my book and I started running and then I got shot, he said. Theo said that months before the incident, he had a chilling vision of a chaotic shooting scene and paramedics taking him away. I knew I was shot in the dream, he said. I just saw bits and pieces of it. I had a vision of me being shot one day. Theo said his dream was eerily similar to the school shooting on February 23rd. Witnesses said a gunman walked into the Deer Creek Middle School campus, asked a few students whether they had attended the school, and then fired into the crowd of children. A bullet hit Theo in the side and another student, Regan Weber, in the arm. The student was subdued. Uh, the shooter was subdued only after math teacher David Benke and several other staff members wrestled him to the ground. Theo's mother, Patty, praised Benke's quick thinking and said she believes there's a reason why her son was not killed. He's a blessing from God, she said. I know he is on earth for a reason, and that's why it was not his time to go yet. So just, you know, to have this story such a tragedy, anyway, luckily everybody was okay, but to have somebody go into a a school and and offer the shooting, and this kid said that he had a vision of it, you know, why didn't he say something? Why didn't he say something ahead of time? Because he'd probably be brought in and asked 50 exactly, million questions. Exactly, because it happened in Colorado, 
And you cannot go into the school and say, oh, I had a dream about a school shooting in Colorado because, you know, with the history and everything. But still, premonitions do happen, and when they do happen, you should share them with people. Matt, That's true. I have a premonition that you have a story that we can actually <laughs> yeah. make fun of. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. A zombie's lawsuit comes back from the dead. An appeals court in northern United States has allowed a group of zombie-dressed protesters to press again with their lawsuit against police who arrested them for disorderly conduct. The Minneapolis Appeals Court in Minnesota overturned a lower court in finding the group of seven zombies had been wrongfully detained during a 2006 shopping mall protest against commercialism. The three-judge panel ruled Minneapolis police lacked probable cause to arrest the demonstrators for disorderly conduct. At At the time of the protest, the zombies were wearing... Makeup including white face powder, fake blood, and black circles around their eyes that, they, that gave them the living dead look. But the appeals court sided with the protesters in ruling police had no reason to imprison them for two nights simply because they dressed like zombies. The decision allows the protesters to revive the lawsuit against Minneapolis and its police. So. They can arrest people for dressing like zombies. Moniz is screwed. <laughs> Seriously, he always looks like he's the walking dead. A lot of days I feel like it. <laughs> All right, Moniz, what do you have for us? Something from the Telegraph in the UK. A company in New Zealand is beginning production of a commercial jetpack. Martin Aircraft Company in Christchurch, New Zealand, aims to make 500 packs a year, which will sell for around... 50,000 pounds. That's about 100,000 pounds in, I mean, $100,000 in American money. Split it with you. Hey, I'd like to take one of these things for a test drive. The 200 horsepower dual propeller packs are the brainchild of inventor Glenn Martin, who unveiled his machine for the first time in July last year. Because it weighs less than 254 pounds or 115 kilograms, the jetpack does not require a pilot's license. Just lots of money and no brains. Uh, it's capable and a of. Helmet. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one. Help. Yeah. Generally, like the one you used on the short bus before you would take a flight on this <laughs> thing. Okay, it's capable of traveling uh, 30 miles in 30 minutes on a full tank of fuel. In recent tests have uh, shown that the newest model reaches heights of up to 2,400 meters and a top speed of 60 miles an hour. But only now has sufficient investment been found for the company to begin production of the craft, which will also begin at an undisclosed site outside of New Zealand. Martin Aircraft Company's chief executive, Richard Lauder, said that the pack could be... uh, perfect for emergency services, private users, and even the military. He said, this could, be a life, this could be life-saving stuff. For us, this is an excellent commercial step. Mr. Lauder would not identify the partner other than to say it was an international aircraft company. The joint venture would run through a newly created company. The aircraft company would control 51% of the stake, both Mr. Lauder and the Jetpack inventor, uh, Glenn Martin, would be the directors of the new company. You know who I think is involved in that? The Rocketeer. Yeah. I was waiting for it. I said the Rocketeer. So I said, the Rocket who? Oh. 
I don't never saw it. The Rocketeer? I saw bits and pieces. Okay. I never saw it all the way through. Much like how I've seen most of Bruce Campbell's career. Yeah. Bits and pieces. <laughs> all right, that is The Week in Weird. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, uh, just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the Forum tab, go to the Week in Weird thread, drop the story in there, and if we read it on the air, we will send you a Spooky South Coast bumper sticker while supplies last. What do we got, like three left? Uh, I think we have four. Okay. All right, well, thank you, Eric, by the way, for your donation. Maybe we can use that to get some more bumper stickers. All right. We'll be right back in just about a minute, and we will talk about the Rock Me Amadeus fundraiser coming up, and you don't want to miss this, trust me, because people right from this very station will be making fools of themselves. We'll be right back with more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Help me, Dr. Zayas. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa, science advisor, Matt Moniz. And we have two very special guests here with us in the Spooky Studio. Well, one very special guest in Wayne. <laughs> we have Terry Walkowitz. I never Wal- liked you either, <laughs> Tim. We have Terry Walkowitz and, of course, our old friend Wayne Morrison, who you know from the Rock for Christmas shows. And he really is a great friend of the show. And he's, he's great friends of ours personally, too. And we just like to rib him because... Thank you all ta- so much for having me. Man. He takes it well. And, uh, Terry, you have organized this event called Rock Me Amadeus, and uh, Amadeus will not be there. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart is dead, so uh, yeah, he I cannot agree. physically rock us there. But you have lined up plenty of other people. Not as good, but yeah. 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 Well, Mozart wasn't that great. Kind of overhyped. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure that the musical acts that you uh, have assembled here will make him pale in comparison. Including, unfortunately, myself and Matt Costa being involved, and we apologize for that already in advance. Well, can I comment on that real quick? Sure. You know I have a lot of rock star friends. Yes, you do. Eddie Money will come all the way across the country to rehearse, and we can't seem to get you two guys to come down the street and rehearse in the (laughs) studio like a mile and a half away. There's a difference in that, see? Eddie Money has had a very long and successful career, and he's sitting on a nice little nest egg so he can blow things off. Uh, me, a mile and a half get, down I, the I road get paid by the hour. <laughs> but they've never used any of my songs in a beer commercial, <laughs> so I, I kind of got to go where the money is. Okay. But uh, also, I'll keep that in mind. So, so also, I don't know why you're in such a rush to get me down there to to actually rehearse. I don't know anything. Well, I How offered hard? you a free lesson too. You didn't it's, come for that either. It's not really that hard for me to rehearse, standing there pretending to play my guitar. I've been doing that for 32 years. Well, I didn't know this was a Millie Vanilli thing for you. For I me, it is. Really yes. Why do you think I recruited Costa for this? <laughs> Matt hasn't had a lesson in a while no. either. I at know. least, at he's least, he's, at least he's a more competent guitar player than me. I figure if him he's and I very just, competent. If him and I just look at the same sheet music, then all I have to do is just pantomime whatever he's doing, all right. and it works out <laughs> fine. All right, good. I'll 
I'll keep that in when, mind. When I got involved with this, microphone I need. When I got involved with this, I was told that nobody was going to have any musical talent and that there was going to be a band that was going to be backing everybody up. And unbeknownst to, to myself and probably Terry at the time, apparently New Bedford is full of rock stars. Yeah, well, they're all getting competitive. It was supposed to be novice, but everybody wants to be better than anybody else, so they went out and grabbed they, up all the talent. And got ringers. That's right. <laughs> so it's it's going to be on April 9th. Yep. And it's at the Skyrim. Yep, top of Howland Place. And uh, I've seen some, I've never been there, but I've seen some some photos online, and it, it looks like a place where we can do some real damage. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm, pic- I'm picturing just, uh, you know, an amp flying out those windows and, you know, guitars being smashed. Uh, probably Mayor Lang will be the one. No, 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 no. It's my equipment there backlining it. Okay, <laughs> all right. I'll bring, I'll bring, I will be on guard. I'll bring my amp. Ever since I bought it, my wife's wanted to throw it through the window. So There you go. But um, no, really great room, awesome sound system, a bunch of moving lights. It's really going to be a great show. I'm really excited that uh, Terry brought me in to help her out with this. It's going to be awesome. Well, one of the things when you're when you're trying to come up with ideas for fundraisers, I mean, you got to get something that's going to bring people in. That's going to be an attraction no, for them to come in. No, no, I I choose a fundraiser based on what I want to wear. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, and yeah, last year we did um, for the hospital Dancing with the New Bedford Stars because I wanted to wear a gown, and this year I want to wear, you know, leather and spandex. So well, then this will be perfect. Got to do it. And not just yourself, but anybody that comes. Needs to wear leather yeah. and spandex. Mm-hmm. Now, fishnets are good. There's fishnets are good. Probably some people involved with this that I don't want to see in leather and spandex. Um, I'm thinking of in this room. <laughs> but uh, that's okay because, you know, the grunge look still counts, right? Absolutely. Okay. So, Matt, all those flannel shirts you bought up hoping grunge was going to come back, <laughs> we finally found a way to put them to good use. It will come back. Uh, remember when flannel shirts cost like $55 at Sears and they yeah. came already ripped? <laughs> Glad I held on to them. So, but it is. It's April 9th. Uh, tickets are $45. They're on sale now? Um, starting next week. Okay. And how can people get them if they want to get tickets? Um, they can contact, since this fundraiser is for um, New Bedford Symphony Orchestra and all the programs that they're doing, music education in our local schools. They're servicing 17,000 kids in our area, putting music education programs in the school, where so many schools these days are forced to, you know, cut back. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases, completely cut them out. Absolutely. And, you know, you know the symphony, um, they're doing music in the mornings programs in over 53 schools in our local community. They have the Young People's Concerts that start this Monday, actually. Six to 7,000 students will come to hear uh, the symphony perform at the Zaitarian. Wow. Um, we have a youth symphony orchestra now, and now we have a, a small chamber group that goes and visits the schools and performs music for the kids and kind of teaches them a little bit about music as well. And for whatever reason, I mean, music is the one that always gets crossed off when Absolutely. they're doing the budget, and it's the one that... I mean, I can remember when I was a kid and I got into seventh grade or sixth grade, whatever it was, the big exciting thing was I can start taking an instrument now. And it was something that I looked forward to. And then, you know, right when you get to that grade, that's when they start slashing all this stuff. So many of these kids probably don't even have that opportunity. They don't. And, you know, it used to be that a local symphony would have a youth symphony orchestra for those kids who were really excelling. You know, they were in their own school ensembles. They gave them this experience outside. Now the youth symphony orchestra through the symphony is the ensemble. That is the only experience that they're getting. And I've been at plenty of concerts, uh, you know, youth bands and high school bands and middle school bands and 
you always hear the parents complaining. You always see them cringing, and they always say, "Ee, gee, you know, it sounds like these kids just aren't ready for this." Well, they're not because they're not getting the education for Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And when you're basically relegating their musical experience down to a couple hours after school with the band director, they can't get the job done. They need to have it in the classroom, and they need to have it be part of the curriculum. And there, there are orchestras in major cities that aren't doing as much as New Bedford Symphony Orchestra is doing for music education in our schools. So we wanted to do something just to raise money for the educational programs that they're providing in our community. And this is certainly going to help. Uh, it, and, again, $45 a ticket, April 9th, at the Sky Room at Howland Place. And the idea behind it uh, is really... It's both. Uh, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say it's. It's definitely something that's gonna grab people's interest, and it's also something that's going to make people's ears bleed. So if when you can Absolutely. combine the two things, you might things be surprised, once. though. I mean, you know, we have about we have eight bands performing, and a lot of people in our community that you never knew could actually, you know, play some music or do a pretty impressive job with with some help. And uh, Wayne, I'm assuming that the the sound system there goes up to eleven. Um, twelve and a half. Nice. <laughs> We like it loud. So uh, we rehearse loud. Yeah, we definitely rehearse loud. Well, that's the great thing about Wayne Spot is you can rehearse as loud as you want, and we do, and we take full advantage of it. I drug Terry into uh, play. We're actually doing some shows with Pat Travers and Terry Luce from X Y Z. Nice. Terry is quite an accomplished pianist, and uh, I'm thrilled to have her on board. But she got her first experience of a real rehearsal last night. <laughs> her ears I'm still were, in her shock. Her ears were bleeding. <laughs> I will say, I, I've I've actually been to some rehearsals at Wayne's place, and and if you can't find it, anybody that's participating in these, and you, you can't find it, you just got to listen. Absolutely. And you'll find it. Usually, you can just feel Wayne's bass. There was like there was like stuff coming from the ceiling tiles. They were playing. I was that's watching this stuff come. I'm like, is that that's is just that asbestos. concerning anybody? That's just asbestos. Don't worry about that. It'll be fine. <laughs> It, does, it just eats through the soundproofing and, and lands on the floor. But uh, some of these, some of the groups that you've gotten together are, are people that you wouldn't expect to be, you know, strapping on guitars and getting Absolutely, behind drum kits. Yeah, we have um, the mayor's put together a band that you may not know, but the mayor is a drummer, and he's put together some friends. And um, we have a media band that you guys are going to be participating in eventually um, <laughs> with Ken Pittman. Um, and we have um, Doreen Scanlon from ABC6. She's participating. Um, we have a New Bedford police band. We have a St. Luke's Hospital band. The city council has put together a band. Um, we have a group called Twisted Tiaras. That's like former beauty queens like Miss Massachusetts, Miss New Bedford. They're going to get up and do a little Guns N' Roses. Nice. Which should be interesting. Um, we have an educator's band. Since this is really for music education, we have some principals and teachers who are willing to get up and um, they're calling themselves No Class, and they're going to do a little Alice Cooper, of course. <laughs> a song they're probably the most tired of hearing in their lives. But it, is there, is there, uh, I mean, is there any surprise that when you started making calls and trying to put these groups together, I mean, were you taken aback by the level of, was it kind of like one of those things like, oh, yeah, I, I, I think I'll do it, or were people like, Oh my God! I finally get a chance to get up on stage and do Absolutely. this in front of people. How many people really want to be a rock star? At least pretend that they can be. Um, everybody want everybody wanted to participate. I think within the first week, I had forty to fifty people say yes. 
so that was good. And the best thing about it is it's a fundraiser. So no matter how bad you are, they can't ask for their money back because <laughs> exactly they'll look like right. jerks. <laughs> so no refunds. No. Uh, and so when these bands get up and play, they're going to play a wide variety of, of songs. Is there a genre? Is there an era that you're zeroing in on? It's like classic rock, yeah, right? there's is a that... lot of classic rock going on. It'll um, just be unclassic by the time we're all done. Uh, yeah. Or, or classless. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you now that uh, uh, the, the the song that we're doing yep. is The Media Man. I don't, I don't know if you want to tell them what song it is. But, you guys uh, are doing um, Bon Jovi, Living on a Prayer. Uh, and do you know the name of your band? We, Have you we heard? are? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I've been practicing the wrong song. I've been playing uh, the Pina Colada song. No, no, we're not doing that. I just swore on the air. <laughs> you got away with it, too. If you like being... No, what, what's the name of our band? Um, karaoke Black Belts. At least that's what I've been told. <laughs> well, that's a good name because Ken Pittman is a ninja. People don't really? realize that, yes. Because he picked the name, so... He actually is a... I like the name you came up with. What was your name? What, what did you come up with? <laughs> can, you, can you say it on the I'll air? I'll tell you off the air. I think I could say it off the air, but I, I don't know if Ken would, would uh, get the irony in it over the air, so I'll, I'll wait and tell him in person, but... Uh, I can't believe you're in a band. You don't know the name of it. You don't show up for rehearsals. You don't know what song it is. You practice the wrong song. You're you're gonna be he's good. He's got his flannel shirt. He's wait, all so, set. Wait, so I don't rehearse. You'll be good. I don't rehearse. I don't show up. I just show up for the show, and I probably show up late. I'm Axel freaking Rose. <laughs> you're doing a hell of a in job. In 17 so. years, I'll give you my album. Yeah, good, perfect. Yeah, and it'll be mediocre at best. At best. No, but you're uh, doing a hell of a job. Well, I'm, Ken picked that, of course, because he's a he's a kickboxing champion. I don't know if he told you that. He didn't tell me that. Oh, that's I warned I warned Wayne that right away. <laughs> I know Wayne. I know he, I know the kind of trouble he can get himself into. So you watch out. <laughs> okay. So, uh, but I've been no. warned. He, and Ken is a great guy. He does a lot of stuff in the community, and uh, a lot of people, you know, might argue with him for his politics and everything. But he's a great guy, and he's always willing to help out and. That's the thing when you're when you're doing a fundraiser like this, you know when when you see people that are willing to go up there and, and make a fool of themselves for something, you know that they're good-hearted people. We just want to have a good time. And my only question is, is there a bar? Oh, <laughs> that is like that's pretty important to the success of the evening, yes. as far as I'm concerned. Because uh, I can only play twelve bar, and that's not <laughs> the that's not the style that I play. That means I have to go to the bar at least 12 times before I'll even get up there and start to play. Oh, well, that's not going to be good. <laughs> it's getting uglier by the moment. <laughs> well, again, I'm only pantomiming, so I don't know what you're worried about. You're playing. You're stumbling, you're play. stumbling into something or somebody. I'll, uh, I, I, Could I, ruin I know the whole I can, show. I'll at least hit that E minor to start off, and then we'll see where it goes from there. But, uh, Wayne, you know, you're used to working with professional musicians and and uh, with Rock for Christmas, of course, you always bring in some big-name acts. So, I right. mean, is there a challenge to working with people who are, you know, basically novice to intermediate Oh, level? no, it's a thrill. <laughs> I've enjoyed every moment of it. I can, no, oh, wow. I didn't know sarcasm had an actual <laughs> smell to it. <laughs> no, um, actually, the people that have been coming are, are very talented people. I, th- I think everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised with this show. It's... Uh, the the rehearsals are really coming along, and um, you know I'll have my team there to do the changeovers. It'll it'll be a professional show. Everybody's going to be pleasantly surprised. I got a question for Wayne. What did these guys ask for their on their rider? Well, they haven't been around to uh, get into contract negotiations <laughs> yeah, yet. True. So, my pe- my people were supposed to talk to his people, but oh, okay. Listen, I go through a lot of that. I people think- get left out. 
<laughs> I was going to say, I think he is my people, so it kind of cuts things down. Yeah. No, but I it, it, everybody's going to be fed and taken care of that day. There'll be there'll be nobody wanting for anything. It, it's going to be a great time, and we're going to do a great job helping the community again. Okay, but you know it can only be the brown M and M's. I thought it was the green ones you no, want. No, we want the brown ones. Okay. We're Van Halen. We're not Ozzy. <laughs> we want the, the brown M&Ms. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I mean, uh, Wayne, you, you're in the business, so you'd probably get a kick out of it. Have you ever been to the Smoking Gun website? Oh, they, yeah. Have you ever gone to their section on contract riders? I actually haven't, but I've, I've oh, seen some of the trash that goes you, on there. you got to so. go there. there. There's some really – the Foo Fighters write probably the best – contract writers in, in the business because they put a lot of jokes into them and they're hilarious and somebody like yourself who puts on shows and probably has to deal with a lot of that stuff you can probably appreciate when when somebody's got their tongue in cheek with a lot of those requests what's the craziest request you've ever had from an act that you've worked with you don't have to name the act but what's the craziest request they've ever asked you for uh not really a lot because dealing with Rock for Christmas, I mean, they they know why they're coming. There. Yeah, but in, in in your previous work, I'm sure you had some crazy stuff. Oh. Live donkeys in the dressing room and no, oh. none of that. They, okay, they they just they think they're worth a, a lot more money than they really are. You know, it's not the '80s anymore. Well, and a lot of the I classic can, rock guys. I can I tell you that the acts for Rock the Amadeus they are worth every penny because uh, it all goes through a. A good cause, the New Bedford Symphony Orchestra and their youth programs, and it is are there going to be people from the symphony there and, and being? Uh, yeah, actually, part we're going to. Um, I wanted, you know, the conductor, Dr. David McKenzie. I was hoping he would get up and maybe do a little Blues Brothers, but I think he's going to do a little soloing with one of the bands. So you think that we actually might offend the professional musicians? I'm hoping to. Okay. Well, now, we actually talked about having some of the string players yeah, come too to do. Do some we do actually a little dust the in the wind. <laughs> we have one of the string players in the educators band as well. So excellent, and of course this is interactive. This isn't just go go to this and watch the people get up on stage and and clown around and make fools of themselves. You want the people attending to do that as well. Absolutely. And so you've got uh, looks. You're going to have a, a, a contest for the best dressed. Yeah, or or it might be. I say worse. Worse dressed, yeah. or could even be least dressed when you consider the the genre. <laughs> And that might sell some tickets, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's a good idea. See see who can get away with having the uh, the most rock and roll, and by that we mean the least clothed outfit, and still not break any health laws. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Wayne, I think you got that one in the bag. <laughs> Tony, take a leap. <laughs> I'll right. set with you. I got to go. I'm busy. <laughs> Swamped no. right now. But, I mean, really, it's, it's it's a good night to let your hair down. And some of these guys, they still have their hair to let down. But some of us have moved on from the from the mid-'80s. But, uh, <laughs> see, I, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I don't have to just pick on you. boy. No, but, I mean, it really sounds great. And if the spooky South Coast audience uh, gets out there and goes, I mean, I know that they are just from talking to people that we know and, and other things that we've done, we know our audience loves – classic rock they love the rock music and they love supporting good causes and this is definitely a good cause uh is there um is there a real uh crunch right now going on in the in the local schools to to move these programs out i mean are they really in danger or is this just to help them keep them uh help keep them active i think that the the symphony's been really creative about ways to um add programs that really aren't aren't in place. I mean, the the Music in the Mornings program, 
it, it basically is based on five, five, and five. Five minutes of classical music, five days a week for five years. The kids start the morning um, in school with listening to five minutes of a classical piece of music, same piece played for five days, the Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. um, with a different script read by whoever does the morning announcements, the principal. Um, and, and as a teacher in a school, I, I see not just the effect of, wow, it's great that they're listening to music, but making music a part of kids' daily lives, I think, is extremely important. And not only that, but I see the effect of them. It just has a settling effect. They kind of get focused and centered for their, their school day. Um, and this is an unbelievable program. We've had schools on waiting lists waiting to, to get it implemented in their school, and now we have 17,000 kids starting each morning listening to the classical music. There's so many school systems out there, though, that they just they claim they can't put the time into it. You know, they have to hit those 180 days, and they have to have X amount of hours, and everything's geared toward the MCASs, and they just can't sacrifice any of that time for music. So if there is a school system that's willing to do it, like New Bedford and these other schools around here, then we have to make sure it can keep going because they're willing to put their necks out to sacrifice that time, uh, and it would be a shame if the program has to drop off due to a lack of funding. Absolutely, so yeah. things like this are perfect. Uh, and, you know, as you said, any time you can... You know, throw on those clothes that you forgot you had, and with good reason, and not just because you know you want to go out and look like a fool or it's Halloween. We're gonna look good. I don't know what you think. You're, uh, I'm sure you will, but I don't even know what this guy's. He's probably gonna wear the same thing you would wear otherwise. Matt, do you have any rock and roll clothes picked out? If you have anything set aside, um, no, I don't. Do you want me to take you shopping? <laughs> I can come up with some ideas for you. I, you know, I think you'd be perfect in like just a trench coat and a cowboy hat. You know, go with the yeah. C.C. Deville. Oh my God. That would be perfect. Not, not just a trench coat. I meant oh. over his clothes. This is a family show. <laughs> no, it's not. It, the family. Yeah, the Adams right family. <laughs> yeah, true. No, I'm a, like whatever you're gonna wear underneath it. Put also yeah. on a trench coat and a cowboy hat. You know, that would be a good look for you. The C.C. Deville. All right. Yes. Only just don't be as strung out. Yeah. And, uh, and, and Moniz, we're going to make you go to this at least because. Oh, I'm bringing a video camera. I yeah. ain't going to miss this for the world. <laughs> Hell, you two gold in the making. You've still got oh. the original, not, not the reprints that you buy at JCPenney out there. You've still got the original Iron Maiden t-shirts. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is, no, seriously, like, we say to him, if he, he's booked TV appearances, you know, like gone on people's paranormal talk shows and whatever. And we always say, you know, Moniz, we have a spooky South Coast shirt. You know, we have a spooky South Coast hat. Promote the show. Promote the show. No, he promotes Iron Maiden. <laughs> he goes on. I mean, it's an awesome, it's, it's an awesome collection of shirts. I'm impressed. I mean, I love Maiden and I love their, their cover art. But, uh, you know, every once in a while, mix in a spooky South Coast shirt, huh? Help us out here. Okay. <laughs> I don't think Maiden needs any more promotion. But, uh, now, is there going to be uh, audience participation in the singing? Is there going to be a sing-along portion of this? Well, I'm hoping. I think we've picked a lot of songs that people are already going to know the lyrics, and hopefully they will help and maybe Absolutely. drown out a little bit of the singing on stage, depending well, on how that goes. I know that you, you got you got our band backup singers, right? Um, yeah. And Ken's, Ken's handling the main vocals. He is, yep. And he's got an experienced guitarist, I'm assuming, playing lead. Oh, yeah. So all all we got to do is worry about the rhythm, or or is that even taken care of? <laughs> they're, they're, 
you guys can be part of the whole thing. It'll it'll be fine. <laughs> I hope so. Your words, not mine. Uh, I'm, talk I'm, talk box, no talk box. I know how to control the soundboard. We, we can gonna, be pulled right out of the mix. It'll that, be fine. That'd be excellent. <laughs> that, please do. Turn that game down. Oh, just, oh, yeah. oh all the way. If not, down. if not, I'm just turning down the volume on my guitar. <laughs> but uh, you know, we're gonna you have. Might, you might not even be plugged in. That's I, fine. I, I'll tell everybody I was wireless. That's fine. <laughs> we can pull that off. I have a couple of wireless systems. Just don't put the yeah, battery you in. Actually, <laughs> you don't actually need them. I'll just tell them it was wireless. Yeah. But no, no talk box, no, whoa, 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 no. No, why do you want all the secrets? eBay, we can get one. Because I want one, and I can't justify spending the money. Don't worry. Everything will be provided for. <laughs> all right. It's all going to be good. See, Matt, so you can finally live your lifelong dream of being able to talk through your guitar. <laughs> you, you're awfully quiet here. You're the, you're the experienced one here. Not really. You've got more or less in time than me. I guess so. Have you know. been practicing, Matt? I have. Yeah? And every time I do, I think of you. The the, the right song? No, not that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. What, what song Perfect. have you been practicing? Because um, I think it was I think it was the same same one you were doing. The, what? The Pina Colada song. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we are extending Rupert Holmes' career way longer than it should be. But uh, guys weren't I, even I practicing think, the right band. I think we <laughs> we weren't even practicing the right genre. We both got the wrong email. That's I fine. did. I think I got the wrong email. No, actually, uh, uh, my my guitar teacher actually sent me the the uh, chords for for Living on a Prayer today, and I looked at him and I said, I don't know any of those. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah. So uh, basically, uh, just me me and a book of tabs. That's <laughs> that's what it'll be. Me and some tabs. Uh, but I mean. When you bring in when you bring in somebody like Wayne who can make sure that everybody, you know, is on the right page and uh, Wayne, you do so much with Rock for Christmas year round. I mean, how are you even fitting this into your schedule? Well, do you see the smile? She came in and smiled at me. I couldn't say no. And she's really doing a great job with this. She's uh, she came in well prepared, and I I just I wanted to implement whatever I could. You know, I wanted to be part of it. I. I want to help the educational program too. It's it's a great idea, and a lot of great people in the community are coming together, and that's really what everything we do is about. You and know, is is bringing people together to do good work. And, and you've seen so, firsthand for thirteen, fourteen years now, people in this area, that when you give them a good cause, they will rally around it. Absolutely, I can't thank everybody enough for being supportive of Rock for Christmas for all these years too. We're starting the fourteenth year now, and. Uh, and I'm excited to be be doing all that still to it. So. And we can make the big announcement right now. The headliner of next year's Rock for Christmas is not going to be the media band. Uh, well, no, the, that that's a fact. Kar- karaoke what? Black belts. Karaoke black belts. They will not be headlining. We're actually booked that weekend. So. Oh, good. Yeah, we're going to be playing you. Branson, Missouri. <laughs> yeah, good. That'll boy. So, because <laughs> that's where we'll all quality, tour, quality huh? music acts go We're on tour in December. <laughs> Going up against Rock for Christmas shows in Branson, Missouri. Good, perfect. So, uh, no, but again. I'm going to have trouble selling tickets again. And, and You didn't have that much trouble this year. No, we did you great. Sold out. We did great. Uh, yeah, yeah, I remember on. that phone call. You definitely did sell out. Yeah, we did. Because uh, I had to fly down there <laughs> as fast as I could. Oh, yeah. 
because I had the last tickets. Yeah, you you did. You had the last six or something, I think. And, and, uh, and just it was a phenomenal, phenomenal show, the one that I went to, and I heard great things about all the shows. Uh, yeah, all the shows were awesome. Eddie Money's great. Pat Travers got on board this year. Terry Luce from XYZ. Joey Mullen from Badfinger did a great job. And uh, Ernie and the Automatics doing the Boston set, they were incredible. Still talking about that. Yeah, it's it's uh, I I just I couldn't be happier. It's uh it's been awesome, and fortunately everybody signed on to come back again this year. It looks like we might be doing a weekend at the Seaport. So wow, excellent. rock for Christmas weekend. You know, my dad's a huge Pat Travis fan too. So we'll also get Dad over there have to get him down there. Get a picture with him. Get an autograph for him. I'll actually let my dad turn out the lights. Is he going to actually say boom boom? Oh yes, he will. Oh, he will. That's one of Terry's favorite songs. Yeah, it is now. Yeah. My my dad loves that song. Like from when I was a kid, that was taught to me before I knew "Happy Birthday." I think. <laughs> I don't know if the song's that old, so I mean. All right, can so you get Derringer? I can get Derringer. We'll see how his torrent's going. He's actually out. Uh, he's doing dates uh, with Ringo Starr. Yeah. Wayne can get anybody. Wayne, I'm pretty sure that Wayne's going to reunite the Beatles, including the two that are no longer with us. Well, through the help of Spooky South Coast. Of course. of course. Yeah, we can help you with that. Yeah. We, we, just we can make actually, it happen. We, we, do, do, we do things around here. We did a show a few weeks ago on the idea of John Lennon uh, actually signing a deal with the devil, and that that led to their success. So, I mean, is that why you've been able to be so successful in the music business? Did you sign a, sign yeah. a deal with that? All right. He a, is the devil. There you go. That works, too. <laughs> But boy, no. there's really not a lot of love in this room. But can I go yet? We, we kid because we love. We kid because we love. I know. It's Rock Me Amadeus. It's April 9th at the uh, Sky Room at Howland Place. Tickets are $45. Proceeds benefit the New Bedford Symphony Orchestra's music education programs for local schools. And you can purchase the tickets starting next week through the Symphony Orchestra. Absolutely. And I'll have Wayne standing out downtown selling them, too. That also works, too. There will be some at the Morrison Music and Production Office over at One Wamsetta. In New Bedford, and uh, anybody that's in the band will have access to tickets, any of the bands. so. And anybody that's uh, you know a Spooky South Coast listener and wants to know, just call in uh, while we're on the air here, and we'll set everything up for you and help you get down there. And it, it, I think that you're going to see kind of a, a diverse mix of fans. You're going to find people who are just fans of this type of music and people who are supporters of these bands, and then you're going to find some people who – might not normally listen to this kind of stuff, that are going to go and check it out, and then the next day they're going to be downloading it all onto their iPods. The, uh, hopefully the original versions, uh, you know, because we don't want to get sued for copyright infringement, but and do it legally on iTunes and pay the dollar. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are going to be really pleasantly surprised with what they hear. The bands are really doing a great job, and uh, and everybody's getting ready. You know, they're, they're in uh, rehearsing and, and making this happen, and it's going to be a great show. Is there any possibility at all that if maybe I just got Richie Sambora to come instead of me, would that be all right? Yeah, I don't think anybody would mind, Tim. Okay, you, all you, right. You can stay home. It's all good. No, I'm just kidding. I, I actually, when Terry called me, I was like, yes, of course I'll do it. Uh, of course. By that point, I'll have taken at least five months' worth of lessons, and I'm going to be great <laughs> by then. And I was severely wrong. <laughs> It does. It does take uh, some time. I to, think I'm on like six months. I think it's six. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm on yeah, like you're my only about thirty days short. Oh, well, I got plenty of time then. Yeah, because it's be... April 9th, So yeah, you'll be good. Time. Maybe by then I'll have moved off off bar chords, which is where I still am. 
You only need to play three bar chords. You'll, you'll get through it. I will. Well, my, my wonderful teacher, R.C., is going to start going over the song with me this week. So I'll be able, and of course, I'll be harassing Wayne to help me, and I'll actually try to make a few of the practices, too. That, that would be so good. It would be nice to meet That'd the other people That would be a great way to end. How about knowing your band? <laughs> it's usually, a band is usually about chemistry, you know? It's not, uh, it never works when it's just a bunch of people thrown up there, or, or especially if there's one jerk that doesn't show up all the time and then just shows up. Or two of them. Or two of them. We'll just have Oh, to, you yeah. guys aren't jerks. You know I love you guys. But uh, listen, this is really a great cause. It's uh, Everybody is really working hard to make this happen, especially Terry. She she devotes a lot of her time to, to making this one event happen, and uh, I'm really impressed with her. She's she's doing an incredible job, and I uh, I can't wait to see the fruition of all her efforts. It's going to be awesome. Well, and, Terry, is this going to be the first annual? Do you have plans of doing this in the future? Are you insane? Next year, can we do hip-hop with the uh, robot voice? No, no, no. Because no, no. <laughs> Moniz loves that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Again, you can smell the sarcasm. So uh, make sure that you definitely get out and support this event. I mean, if you don't, you're a jerk because it goes to a good cause. So I'm going to go out right on a limb and say that. You're a jerk if you don't go. Or buy a ticket and give it to somebody else. Yeah, or if you can't make it to the event, just donate the money anyway. There you go. Don't be a jerk. Will listeners outside our area be able to donate on our donate button and be able to... Uh Earmark some of the money for Yeah, us. sure. That's a great idia. If you want to make a donation through uh, SpookySouthCoast.com and just you know make a point through the PayPal, say that it's from, uh, say that it's for this cause for the Rock Me Amadeus fundraiser, and we will definitely will write a check out to the New Bedford Symphony Orchestra. And good call, Matt. Good call. No, I like helping the, these causes. You always do have some good causes. And we're new to this whole PayPal thing, so we're like we're amazed that you can actually do that. Yeah, that somebody make just send donation. money, please. Yeah. And and they will, because our audience is wonderful. They are definitely the best audience out there in radio. And I think that uh, I concur. they're going to come out and support this. And they're going to show up uh, April 9th, 2010, at the Skyrim at Howland Place in New Bedford. Again, tickets $45. Proceeds benefit the New Bedford Symphony Orchestra's music education programs for our local schools. And if any of those kids go on to go from this program to become great rock stars, you have to come back. You have to take part in Rock for Christmas. You have to help with the, you know, 10th annual Rock Me Amadeus fundraiser. <laughs> I'm just digging that hole deeper for you, Terry. <laughs> All right, our thanks go out to Terry Walkowitz and Wayne Morrison for joining us. Thank you so much for having and us. And we're going to try and have you back again too closer to the event Yay. as well. So Thank you. That does it for this week's episode of the show. We'll be back next week, and I think we got a couple of weeks in here before March Madness basketball starts. So just stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll have all the updates as they come along. Uh, again, if you want to make a donation for Rock Me Amadeus, just donate on SpookySouthCoast.com. Click on the little button there for the PayPal, and uh, make sure that you just say that it's for that fundraiser, and we will make sure that they get it. And Matt, you're going to match every dollar that they spend? No, um, I want you to. Play. I want. I want you to pl- agree to play one solo for every dollar that somebody donates. One solo. <laughs> one solo note. Yes, one <laughs> note. One note in a solo right. for every dollar donated. Okay. So if so, if you know, if we raise a thousand dollars, you're going off for like a six-minute yeah. solo. All right. Can you? Do- I I think that he's way better than he is. I think because he's. That's a great player. He's he's uh, infinitely better than I am. So he gets yeah. solo duties for that. All right, well, until next week, from Matt Costa, from Matt Moniz, I'm Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular.
Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have All kidding just aside, heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. Yet he's always it's taken aback by the uh, by the playful banter. Or at least until yesterday anybody? begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. Look, I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. Alex, Alex, Alex. Oh, what, what happened? I want to get a baby.